Good morning, everyone. So this morning's reading is from Nehemiah chapter 12, verses 27 to 47. Nehemiah chapter 12, starting at verse 27. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps and lyres. The musicians also were brought together from the region around Jerusalem, from the villages of the Netophathites, from Beth Gilgal and from the area of Geber and Asmaveth. For the musicians had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. When the priests and Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. I had the leaders of Judah go up on top of the wall. I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. One was to proceed on top of the wall to the right towards the dung gate. Hoshiah and half the leaders of Judah followed them, along with Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, Jeremiah, as well as some priests with trumpets, and also Zechariah, son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Mataniah, the son of Micaiah, the son of Zachor, the son of Asaph, and his associates, Shemaiah, Azarel, Milalai, Gilalai, Mei, Nethanel, Judah, and Hanani with musical instruments prescribed by David, the man of God. Ezra, the teacher of the law, led the procession. At the fountain gate, they continued directly up the steps of the city of David, on the ascent to the wall, and passed above the site of David's palace to the water gate on the east. The second choir proceeded in the opposite direction. I followed them on top of the wall, together with half of the people, past the Tower of the Ovens to the Broad Wall, over the Gate of Ephraim, the Jeshana Gate, the Fish Gate, the Tower of Hananel, and the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Sheep Gate. At the Gate of the Guard, they stopped. The two choirs that gave thanks then took their places in the house of God. So did I, together with half the officials, as well as the priests, Eliakim, Marseah, Miniamin, Micaiah, Elianai, Zechariah, and Hananiah with their trumpets, and also Maseiah, Shemaiah, Eleazar, Uzi, Jehohanan, Malkijah, Elam, and Ezer. The choirs sang under the direction of Jezrahiah. And on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. At that time, men were appointed to be in charge of the storerooms for the contributions, first fruits, and tithes. From the fields around the towns, they were to bring into the storerooms the portions required by the law for the priests and the Levites. For Judah was pleased with the ministering priests and Levites. They performed the service of their God and the service of purification as did also the musicians and gatekeepers, according to the commands of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, 
there had been directors for the musicians and for the songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. So, in the days of Zerubbabel and Nehemiah, all Israel contributed the daily portions for the musicians and the gatekeepers. They also set aside the portion for the other Levites, and the Levites set aside the portion for the descendants of Aaron. Well, the question I want to answer this morning is this. If the gospel is such good news, why aren't our Sunday services bigger celebrations than they are? Why aren't they these kind of ecstatic experiences when we leave with our uh, souls soaring and our spirits singing? Why do they sometimes feel a bit flat? And will we ever experience the joy that we should experience if everything we believe is true? I'm going to call that experience Kingdom Joy. That's the title of this sermon. Because we get a little glimpse of Kingdom Joy in our reading this morning. Let me briefly summarize the story so far. The book of Nehemiah is all about rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And today we reach a point where the walls are finished and the people are dedicating their work to the Lord. They're saying, we've worked on this wall, but ultimately it belongs to you, God. It's not for us. And in this dedication service, as you've seen, there's plenty of music. There are some ritual aspects as well. It referred to um, the pre-sanctifying things. We've got uh, the, the law of Moses there and the, the customs that David and Solomon set up in the early temple as well. So some ritual things. Um, but basically, the whole ceremony consists of these two choirs marching around Jerusalem. Here we go. I've got a map up here. And um, they're singing. Uh, they've got musicians playing as well. And then they all gather in the temple, which is highlighted. And our chapter finishes with people being appointed to receive gifts and offerings to support the priests and the Levites in their ongoing work serving the Lord. Next week, as we read chapter 13, we'll see that in the same ceremony, the law of Moses was read again. But uh, I'm sure whoever's preaching next time will cover that. Now, there's one big thing that stands out in this chapter, and it's this. This was a huge celebration. Not necessarily numerically, but emotionally. It was pure kingdom joy. So uh, this is verse 43. Listen to how many times it says rejoice or joy or something like that. And on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing, because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. And the chapter keeps making this point that this was a big celebration. So at the start of our reading, if you look at verse 27, Nehemiah gathered in people from outside the city to help worship. And uh, these people were to help, in, help uh, Nehemiah and the people celebrate. But not just celebrate, what does it say? Celebrate joyfully with loads of music. In verse 31, Nehemiah says he appointed two choirs. But not just choirs, what does it say? Large choirs. And again in verse 43, the people offered sacrifices. But they weren't just sacrifices, they were great sacrifices. And God had given the people joy, but not just joy, great joy. Do you get the picture? This was a big celebration, full of emotion. It was kingdom joy. Now, isn't that the kind of joy we wish we had every Sunday morning? The point I'm going to be making in the rest of this sermon 
is that we can experience that kind of kingdom joy, and it's good to, but we shouldn't feel that we failed or that people around us have failed if we don't experience it. Because here are my, my next two headings, if you like headings. First of all, it's a difficult road to kingdom joy. And at any given time, each one of us in this room will be on a different stretch of that road. And the road is difficult. And secondly, a kingdom perspective helps us to celebrate now, but it will always point us forward to true joy in eternity. Let me sort of unpack those two things. First of all, a difficult road. Why aren't our services always huge celebrations? Because not all of us are feeling joyful on a Sunday morning. Isn't that right? Let me show you four things that Nehemiah suffered before he experienced kingdom joy. They are grief, burden, work, and opposition. Let me say a few things about each of those. And by the way, I'm not saying that once you've ticked off all of these, you'll, you'll reach kingdom joy. Like, you know, it's a checklist. I'm still missing burden, but once I've got that one, I'll experience kingdom joy. No, these are just things you might be experiencing that will seem to restrict your joy when you come to church on a Sunday morning. I don't know if you've experienced that. I've certainly experienced that feeling where you go into church on a Sunday morning, your heart is heavy, you, you kind of don't want to be there, you just feel like bursting into tears, and then you leave quickly at the end before anyone speaks to you. That kind of feeling. I'm sure many of us have been there. And it might be any of these four things. So grief. The grief Nehemiah experienced came right at the start of the book. I uh, preached on these verses on the 9th of January. I'm sure you all remember it well. <laughs> A sermon called Making God's Vision Yours. Let me remind you of those words. The words of Nehemiah. I was in the citadel of Susa. One of my brothers came from Judah, and I questioned them about the remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Excuse me. <coughs> when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days, I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Some in this church have a closer connection with others to the war in Ukraine and will easily be able to relate to the grief of Nehemiah when he knew that Jerusalem lay in ruins. And others will have other situations causing them no less grief. And we know that Nehemiah experienced this grief, grief for months. So I wonder, hypothetically, how many worship services had Nehemiah been in over those months where actually he spent the whole thing on the verge of tears and he left with a heavy heart. And if that's you today, then follow Nehemiah's example and turn towards God in prayer as you grieve. Don't let grief drive you away from God. This week in the link on Wednesday, we studied Psalm 23. We're going through the whole of Psalm 23 and we've reached verse 4, which is, even though I walk through the darkest valley or the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And I pointed out that if we only had the first three verses of Psalm 23, we would all be thinking, wow, this Christian life is amazing. It's a life of happy, uh, happiness and peace and abundance. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. What a wonderful life the Christian life is. And then we're hit with verse 4. And then I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And we're not promised escape from that valley, but we are promised God's presence through it. So that's grief. What about burden? Nehemiah's grief gave him a burden to go and rebuild Jerusalem. And I'm not going to spend as long on this one, but maybe there's someone in the room who um, is struggling to find joy in worship because maybe you've got a burden laid on your heart, something that God wants you to do. And perhaps the thought of it is intimidating and you're looking for a bit more guidance and it's making it difficult to find joy on a Sunday morning. Maybe that's a burden to change some aspect of your life. Maybe overcome a particular bad habit or a sin. Or maybe start something new. Well, in those circumstances, Nehemiah prayed and then he pushed doors to see what would open. And do you remember one of those doors he pushed was going and speaking to the most powerful man of his time, the king? And uh, the king granted his request and sent him on his way to do the work. So God opens doors where he gives us a burden to do something. But as long as Nehemiah had that burden, his heart was heavy. There was no kingdom joy there. Third one, work. Uh, most of the book of, of Nehemiah is about Nehemiah rebuilding the walls. And it was hard work. So maybe... Your stretch of, of the difficult road at the moment is just hard work. Nehemiah's work was uh, complicated. He had to organize the workers. He had to motivate the workers. He had to think about defense as well as building. And he had to resolve disputes as well. And it was long hours. Uh, if we looked at chapter 4, verse 21, we'd see that the workers worked until the first light, from the first light of dawn right up until the stars came out at night. But we also know that at least once, Nehemiah worked long into the night inspecting the walls on his own. And that hard work kept Nehemiah from kingdom joy. Now what I want you to notice about this is that the work that Nehemiah was doing was not in itself sort of holy work. So it's not that Nehemiah turned up to church uh, tired and lacking joy because he'd spent the previous night on his knees praying to God, it's because he'd been working hard on the building site. And so if you're exhausted by work and it's sapping your joy, and maybe there's a sense of guilt there that, um, you know, it's taking away your feeling of joy on a Sunday morning, we can remember that all work that we do in a good conscience and in faith is sanctified by God for his purposes. And finally, opposition. Let me read you some verses from chapter 4 again. When Sanballat heard that we were re rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what they are building, even a fox climbing up on it will break down their wall of stones. Ha, 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 good one, Tobiah the Ammonite. Now, wherever there are people together, there's a risk of us falling out with one another. 
But obviously, some people are intentionally malicious towards us as Christians. Uh, someone in the church was shouted at and uh, their husband threatened recently. And when that happens, maybe God will give us the strength to do what the apostles did in Acts 5. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for Jesus' name. Maybe God will give us the grace to do that. But it's not wrong if our reaction is much more like Nehemiah's, which is he fell to his knees and he said to God, hear us, for we are despised. He was upset by it. And uh, kingdom joy seemed far away there. So there are four experiences any of us might be going through on a Sunday morning which make it difficult for us to experience kingdom joy. But I hope you're reassured that that's normal and it's not a sign that the Holy Spirit is absent from the meeting and it's not a sign that your faith is weak and neither is it a sign that the church is falling apart. God leads us all on a difficult road. But it's characteristic of God to bring kingdom joy out of our suffering. So Nehemiah, good example, he had to experience sorrow to be burdened to go and rebuild the wall. And then he had to work hard to rebuild the wall. And in the face of opposition, he completed it. And I'm sure his joy was deeper for the fact that people had said to him, ah, you won't offer any sacrifices, don't be ridiculous. And now we come to the chapter today where here he is offering great sacrifices. So God turned around that suffering and gave him joy. Uh, da David wrote one of the, uh, well, he wrote a lot of the Psalms. He wrote one Psalm for the dedication of the temple, which would happen after his lifetime. But in that Psalm, which is Psalm 30, it becomes really obvious that he went through a lot of these stages before the joy finally arrived. You probably know the most famous verse of Psalm 30, which is this. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. And David, from that psalm, we can tell, had to put up with grief, opposition. We also know he worked very hard at all of these things. And the way in which God turns suffering upside down is seen most of all in the death of Christ. At Easter, we'll be celebrating the resurrection, of course, but we'll also be remembering Christ's death with joy. Because through Jesus' death, all of the penalty or the punishment that we deserve to receive for the things we've done wrong, for our rejection of God, was done away with. If we trust in Christ, our sins are forgiven. But of course, at the time, it wasn't joyful for anyone. And we don't really know fully why God allows suffering. But what we do know is that it's characteristic of God to transform that suffering into joy. And that brings us on to my last heading, a kingdom perspective. Now, what I mean by a kingdom perspective is seeing our lives and the lives of those around us and all of our circumstances in light of God's word and in light of God's plan that he tells us about in his word. Now, we know that part of his plan is not the complete removal of suffering, but transformation of that suffering for our good. That's what uh, the verse we all love in Romans, Romans 8 teaches, Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So firstly, having a kingdom perspective does enable us to experience kingdom joy today. 
Nehemiah didn't see his building work, his building project, as just rebuilding a wall. I'm reading Will Smith's biography at the moment, and he starts with an account of when he was younger, a kid, and uh, his dad was quite a fierce sort of person, and made, him, made Will and his brother, when they were about eight years old, build this 20-foot wall and uh, pretty high wall with none of the tools you'd expect a builder to be able to use to build a wall. And they're eight-year-olds, you know? And um, it took uh, Will and his brother about a year to build this wall, and they were working on it every waking moment outside of school. And then at the end of it, um, the dad came out to inspect the wall, you know, smoking a cigarette, and um, he looks at the wall, um, and then turns around and says, don't, don't let anybody tell you there's nothing... <laughs> let me get this right. Don't let anybody tell you there's something you can't do. And then he turned around and walked back into the house. <laughs> there was no thanks, there was no praise for what they'd done. That was it. Will, Will and his brother have built this wall. Now, uh, Nehemiah has been building a wall, but he sees it as more than a wall. This is uh, the... It's a new beginning for the people of Israel. When the walls of Jerusalem were rebuilt, God could once again, in Nehemiah's picture of history, live amongst his people, Israel, in peace and prosperity. It was a new era. Don't forget that uh, Nehemiah didn't have the rest of the story that we have. So the Old Testament pretty much ends with Nehemiah. And don't forget that all of Israel are waiting for this Messiah, fig Messiah figure to come. And yet, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel has been smashed by the Assyrians. The southern kingdom of Judah has been smashed by the Babylonians. To all intents and purposes, Israel as an ancient nation no longer exists. So what has happened to that messianic hope of the Jewish people? It's been totally wiped out. And then Nehemiah comes along and rebuilds the walls. So can you see how he saw that what he was doing was far more significant than just building a wall? That gave him joy. Now, something for us to pray as a church, particularly as we approach our AGM and the Passion for Life mission, is that God will help us as a church see how we fit into his plan at this particular moment of history. And how all the things we suffer as individuals and together as a church are working together for God's glory and ultimately for our good. And if we pray that, I imagine we probably won't get all the answers we would like. But we might get one or two answers that help us to celebrate what God is doing amongst us here and now. That's the first thing. Having a kingdom perspective enables us to experience kingdom joy today. But secondly, and I'll finish with this, having a kingdom perspective will always make us look ahead to a future experience of kingdom joy. It's the experience that 2 Corinthians 4 verse 17 talks about. That verse says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And ultimately, this uh, kingdom joy of this celebration in Nehemiah is a picture of heaven when God will live amongst his chosen people in peace and prosperity forever. That's what Nehemiah was aiming for. He never really achieved it because that was not God's plan. That was a stepping stone on the way to God's plan when we will live forever with our Lord. Here are some familiar words from Revelation about another Jerusalem whose walls are being built. We sung about this a few times recently. 
This represents God's global people throughout time, this, this Jerusalem that's being built. John, the apostle, writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Representing chaos and all that sort of thing. Go back to Genesis 1.1, we could talk about that. That'd be an interesting subject for another time. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. That's kingdom joy right there. Now, that wall of Jerusalem, that spiritual Jerusalem is being built today, brick after brick as we sing. And uh, do you remember Luke 15, verse 7, that says, there is rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. It's like another brick laid on that wall. And all of heaven erupts like, yeah, rejoicing because that one brick has been laid on the wall. Well, imagine what that rejoicing will be like when the final brick has been laid on the wall. And when New Jerusalem is complete and the whole of God's people are gathered home to be with their Lord forever. Imagine that rejoicing. So, whether we're experiencing joy now or we're on the difficult road that makes Sunday by Sunday a difficult task, let's look forward to the time when our joy will be complete. Let me pray. Lord God, thank you for this celebration of Nehemiah's day and for the joy we see there. But we know it's not, it's not the end of the story. And Father, thank you that we can look forward to a joy that is far greater th than that. Please, Lord, help us to have a kingdom perspective now and rejoice in what you're doing amongst us as a church. But also may we look forward to the time when all of your people will be gathered to yourself and live forever with you. Amen.